One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, One Church Park District. Happy Sunday to you all, wherever you're at. We are so glad that you have joined us today. And uh, we are glad that even though we're not all gathered in one room physically, we are gathered in spirit today. And hopefully you're gathered in your house church this morning. And I just want to give a shout out to all of the house churches around the Orlando Winter Park area. House Church is where it's at. And so I hope that you are enjoying time together. Maybe you've had a little food, some breakfast, some brunch. Uh, maybe you've had some worship, a time of worship, uh, which is always a powerful thing to lead us into the presence of God. I know worship looks a little different uh, now as we're not providing a weekly worship set just due to logistics, uh, but we do have a playlist of our team that has provided some wonderful uh, worship music that you can enjoy. We also have a Spotify playlist that you can listen to uh, on Sundays, uh, you can listen to throughout the week, or maybe you're in your house church and I love to hear the stories of what God's doing in the house churches as people are just grabbing a guitar, singing out, uh, leaning into the presence of God. So I hope that you have done that or will do that today. I believe that it's going to be a great, great day. Well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Nehemiah. We are continuing a series that we've been in for a few weeks now that we're calling The Uprising. The uprising, and we're really talking about how do we rebuild from the ruins, the ruins that we have all found ourselves in in one way or another, uh, perhaps ruined relationships, perhaps uh, ruined dreams, perhaps you just feel like, you know, your plans and what you expected the last year, year and a half to look like uh, has been ruined. But I believe that God is calling us to rebuild from the ruins. We're looking at this incredible story out of the book of Nehemiah. And I want to encourage you as well to join us next Sunday as we gather at the Winter Park Community Center. Uh, we're going to have a special Sunday. Of course, it's Memorial Day weekend. And so after the service, we're going to have a summer kickoff party in the park. We're going to be grilling out in the park. We're going to have some water balloons, uh, water guns for the kids. It's just going to just going to be a great, great time. So I really want to encourage you, plan to join us next Sunday at 10 a.m. But today, if you have your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 3. In fact, I want to look at a few verses before that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. And uh, it says this, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. And if you continue reading into Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll see the incredible roster of the team. The team that rallied together to accomplish the mission, the vision that God had called His people in Jerusalem to accomplish. And last week we looked at a few of the characteristics of teamwork out of Nehemiah chapter 3. Next Sunday we're going to get into Nehemiah chapter 4 and we're going to talk about overcoming resistance 
overcoming resistance. And I I really believe it's something that God wants us to understand. But I, I feel that we need to stay on teamwork a little bit longer, that we need to just kind of uh, marinate and meditate on the importance of teamwork and specifically the importance of unity. So if you're taking notes, this may maybe is called uh, teamwork part two, but I want to focus again on that phrase, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. As we will see, as we continue throughout the story of Nehemiah, you will see that the the people of Jerusalem rose up and rebuilt this broken down wall that had been broken down for hundreds of years. Other people had tried to rebuild it. Other people had made a little progress. But these people were able to accomplish in 52 days what nobody else had been able to accomplish. But I believe in that phrase, we actually find the key to their success. And the key was teamwork and specifically unity. Unity. It was actually the principle of unity or the power of unity that uh, was the key to their success. You see, more difficult and more important than rebuilding bricks and, and mortar and physical rubble, a harder job than getting the wall back together is getting the people together. And I believe that unity is perhaps the most important thing uh, for us if we want to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Unity in our homes, in our families, unity in friendships, unity even as a nation, unity in our church. And I know that we can't be united on everything. We're not not talking about uniformity, but we we are talking about a sense of togetherness. And so I want to look at a few passages of Scripture to show you why is unity so important. You know, we live in a culture that doesn't prize unity, doesn't prize community. It often prizes individuality. It doesn't prize us and champion us as a collective, but it champions self. Care for yourself, look out for yourself, all of those things. And and certainly there is a place where we need to take care of our own souls, our own hearts. But ultimately, the impact of our lives is never found in ourselves alone. But when we come into the context of unity or community with God's people, Why is it that unity is so important? The first thing I want you to see is that unity is important because unity is the nature of God. In fact, the very first commandment that God gave to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 was this. It's called the Shema. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It goes on to say, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus said that's the greatest commandment, but it flows out of the oneness of God. And the reason that unity is so important is because unity is the nature of God. He is one. Even in himself, he is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all distinct, but all united. It's the nature of God. But unity is also a kingdom principle. So unity is important because it's the nature of God, but unity is also important, number two, because it's a kingdom principle. 
You see, God has put certain principles into the world that whether you believe in Jesus or not, these are principles that govern the world. They're kingdom principles that if we want to experience the blessing of God, the goodness of God, the favor of God, these are principles that we need to operate by. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Jesus is here laying out a kingdom principle. This principle applies to a business. This principle applies to a family. This principle applies to a team, a marriage. It applies to a nation, a government. In fact, it was Abraham Lincoln that borrowed this phrase from Jesus as he led in the, um, led in the abolition of slavery. He said this, that, that a house divided cannot stand. It was called the house divided speech. He said, America will either be all slave or all free. He said, I don't know which one it will be, it, it, it will, but it will either be all slave or all free. Why? Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's a principle. It's a law that if something is divided, it will come to nothing. And that's the importance of unity. It's a, it's a kingdom principle. But I believe uh, unity is also important because it's the prayer of Jesus. In John chapter 17, the Bible tells us Jesus' very last prayer. He was getting ready to go to the cross. This was his, his last request, so to speak. And do you know what Jesus prayed for? Jesus didn't pray, Father, I pray you'd give them miracles. He, he didn't say, God, I, Father, I pray that you would uh, make them dynamic and charismatic. He said, Father, I pray they'd be one. I pray they would be one, not just his disciples, but also all that would believe in him. That means us. Jesus's prayer is that we would be one. And how many of you know that when Jesus prays a prayer, God will answer that prayer. And ultimately, God's plan and purpose for the church, for his followers, will be fulfilled. And I believe that today, in the day and age that we live in, if there ever was a need for unity, it is today. All of the challenges, all of the schisms, all of the divisions that we've experienced as a nation, as a city, even as neighbors, people have been divided. Of course, we went through a difficult political season. People were divided over that. People have been divided over masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, all of the different perspectives and opinions on things. And I believe if there was ever a moment that the world needed to see a united church, it is today. A divided world needs a united church. And if we're going to make the impact that God has called us to have in this world, we need to come together in unity, even as the children of Israel did under Nehemiah. So I want to share with you today four levels of unity that if we're going to step into unity in the way that God has called us to, I believe there's four levels of unity that we need to understand. Number one is spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. That's what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 133 when it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren come together or dwell together in unity. And I want to focus on that word brethren or brothers, family. 
And, and what he's talking about is that through Jesus, we have been born again into a new family. Ultimately, our source of unity is not in an external thing. It's not in just some natural thing. Ultimately, it's in a supernatural source that through Jesus, we've been brought into God's family. Every single one of us was born into a natural family. Uh, Each of our families are different and diverse and different backgrounds. But when we come to Jesus, we've been born again into a new family. That means this, regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat, regardless of whether you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic, or regardless of what your education background is or your professional uh, experience, regardless of all the diversity that we have, when you come to Christ, you're born again. That means this, that if you've been born again and I've been born again, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. Our unity is something much deeper than just surface unity. You see, the world tries to get surface unity, and that will last for a while. But ultimately, unity can't come from just externals. You know, it's not, let's just all get matching t-shirts, or let's put the same bumper sticker on our cars, or let's use the same hashtag. Uh, Those may be an expression, but ultimately, unity flows out of the heart. And when you come to Christ, there's this sense of, wow, we're family. We love each other. I heard a story recently about a couple of sisters that, that um, had been separated uh, when they were young children, even before the younger one was aware that she even had a sister. And they had been separated for, for 75 years. And it was through an ancestry, online ancestry test, they realized, I have a sister. I, I didn't even know I had a sister. And there's a beautiful video that I saw of these two women one of them that had never even remembered her sister, but they found out now they have family. And these women that a short time earlier would have passed each other on the street without giving each other a second glance, without having any thought or concern or care about the other one, just thinking there's a stranger. But suddenly these women that had once been strangers now are family. And I saw the beautiful video of when they were reunited as they come uh, across the airport. Their arms are open. They grab each other. They hold each other. Oh, my sister, I love you. I love you. They didn't even know each other. They hadn't even spent any time around each other. They didn't even know what's your political preference. What's your distinction on this or that? But they knew they were sisters. They were family. And because they were family, they loved each other. My brothers and sisters, I have to tell you that if the Holy Spirit lives in us, we will love each other. We will feel about each other like those sisters did, that I don't care what your distinction is or maybe your your preference on this or that, secondary issues. If you've put your faith in Christ, you're my family. I love you. You see, the difference between us and the world is that ultimately our love doesn't come out of any earning or any natural thing. Our love comes out of the fact that we've been loved by God. Therefore, we love each other. That's the source of our unity, spiritual unity, spiritual unity. That's so important for us to lay as the foundation, not just in theology, but that flows into practice. You know, we can try to get into harmony. We can try to come together and let's all have agreement. Let's, you know, the truth is if we had to take any point from culture, And if we just said, you know what, let's all get into unity 
on this issue. Uh, maybe I've got a cup of coffee here. Maybe we say, uh, I, we all like coffee. Coffee is good. Well, I think coffee is good, but somebody else will say, well, I don't like coffee. Well, we'll never get into agreement on coffee. As good as I think it is, we'll never get into agreement around it. And so if we try to get into agreement just in ourselves, it's like, imagine if you had 100 pianos and you tried to tune them all to each other. You'd tune one and two, maybe you could kind of get them working together, but by the time you got to four, five, six, seven, man, it's, they're all out of tune. But the way you get those pianos in tune is you have one tuning fork and you tune all the pianos to the same tuning fork, and suddenly they all come in tune together. They're in harmony together. That's what Jesus does for us. That's why when we come together, we spend time in the presence of the Lord. You know, we just love each other. I know we do a greeting time after worship, and and oftentimes some people think, well, that's just the obligatory time. No, that's not the case. The reason we do that is because when we've been with God, we become loving for each other, to each other. That's the spiritual unity. That's the source of our unity. So number one, our unity, the first and most important is spiritual unity. The second is missional unity, missional unity. Every person around the globe who's put their faith in Jesus has spiritual unity, oneness in Christ, but there's actually another layer or another expression of unity, and that is missional unity. Every person who's put their faith in Christ has been born again. They're in the family, but not everyone is on mission. Not everyone has missional unity. And probably every one of you that's ever been on a team, or maybe those of you who have been in the military, you understand the the. Uh, impact of having a shared mission. You know, the Navy SEALs are known as, as one of the greatest teams in the world. People study the Navy SEALs. They study, you know, their leadership principles. They study how they work together, their organizational structure. And, and if you study the, the Navy SEALs, you'll know that there's people from all different backgrounds, all different, you know, walks of life, different uh, preferences on things. But the one thing that they all have in common is they have a commitment to mission. There is a Navy SEAL ethos that they all commit to, that they are defending the United States of America. And it's that shared mission that brings their togetherness. Those warriors who have spent time on the battlefield fighting, there, there is a bond that is unparalleled that they experience. And the same is true for us. If you've ever been on a short-term missions trip, you know you can get closer to a few people over the course of a week in El Salvador, building an orphanage, or in Africa, helping with a missions festival, preaching the gospel. You can get closer to a group of people in that period of time than you could in a thousand coffee appointments. And again, I love coffee, but what am I saying? I'm saying that relationship flows out of mission. And oftentimes we make relationship the objective And we just try to get into community for community's sake, but community actually flows out of mission. And and, um, so the missional unity is one of the most important aspects of our unity. We're all unified in Christ, but there's a greater expression of unity in mission, that we're committed to mission together. I heard a story one time, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard it as if it was true, that JFK in the 1960s visited Cape Canaveral. 
he was walking around talking to the staff, visiting the team there, and he ran into one man who was a janitor, and he said, what do you do here? And he said, well, I just earn a living. He said, okay, very inspiring. He moved on, came across another man who was a janitor. He said, uh, what, do you, what do you do here? He said, well, I, I pick up trash. I keep the place looking good. He said, oh, well, thank you so much for what you do. Kept going. He came across a third man in the same janitor's uniform. He said, sir, what do you do here? And he said, Mr. President, I help put men on the moon. And I think that's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful expression of the unity that happens through mission when we recognize we have a shared mission. And I want to tell you, again, there's no mission that's greater than the mission of God. The Bible says this, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore into all nations and make disciples. There is no greater mission than the world-changing mission of preaching the gospel, seeing hearts and lives and families and futures transformed through the good news of what is available in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And so we want to not just have spiritual unity, we also want to have missional unity missional unity. But we don't want to stop there. The, the, the third aspect or the third layer of unity is what I would call relational unity. Relational unity. You see, we all have spiritual unity. Every believer in Jesus throughout history, we have spiritual unity. And those who are on mission, there's a greater sense of unity in missional unity. But there's an even greater sense of relational unity. And that is this, that we don't all have the same level of relationship. There's people across the world that I have missional unity with, but I don't really have relational unity because I don't know them. And we are called to be unified with all believers, but we're called especially to be unified with the body of believers where God has put us. Practically speaking, it's the local church, the church that God has put us in. And you know, unity is sometimes one of those things that we can love the idea of it uh, a lot more than the actual practice of it. It's kind of like the guy that I heard about that said, I would lift weights if they weren't so heavy. He liked the idea, but it was different in practice. And unity ultimately is played out in, in the local expression, in the local body where God has put us. I like to point out that most of the New Testament was written to local churches, to the church in Rome, to the church in Corinth. And God has called every one of us to be united with the, the body of Christ as a whole, but to be united specifically with a local church, a group of people that we're in relationship with. That's why house church is so important, because even within our church, you can't have relationship with everybody. You've got to have a little circle that you have intimate relationship with, the closest relationship with. It's kind of like this, you know, I love all people, but I especially love my family. I love all children, but I especially love my children. And the Bible says this, that God has put each member of the body in the place where he chooses. That means this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to be placed in a local church. It's in the local church that we work out the fullness of the implications, the application of the unity that we have through Jesus. 
It's in the local church where we have some people that are different than us, but we sit together, we build relationship, we talk, we share life with one another. It's in the local church that we have shared values. You know, uh, just as for Israel, there was one kingdom, but there was, there was 12 tribes and many families. The same is true in the church today. There's one church, not this one church, but the one church Within that, there's all kinds of expressions of different groups and different denominations, as we call them sometimes. That's not to be uh, different, to be conflicting with one another, but it's actually so that there would be greater strength out of the body, that each part would be functioning in the way that God has called us to function, that we would be who God's called us to be. You know, practically as a church, we, we have some differences with other churches. Now, that's not saying we're better, we're worse, but we're just all different. Just like my family may be different than your family, it's our distinction that actually strengthens us. You know, as a church, we value the presence of God. We, we value encountering God. We value relationships. We believe that church is not just an event to attend, but a community, a family to join. We value the Word of God. We don't just want opinions from people. We don't want just the traditions of men or, or the trends of men. We want the truth of God's word. We also value mission, apostolic mission. We value not just coming to church as a weekly rest stop, but a launch pad to change the world, to be launched out into our individual area of mission. And, and Every local church has different values, different things that shape who they are to be faithful to who God has called them to be. And practically speaking, every follower of Jesus needs to be a member in a local church, needs to be committed in a local church. That's relational unity. The fourth level of unity is what I would call functional unity. Functional unity. If relational unity is about a shared DNA, that we're like family together because we have shared values, we're following Jesus together. Functional unity is about what we are accomplishing. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. He says that we are one body, and just as one body has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. I want you to notice it's this, this imagery of a body, Paul is saying that there's many members, there's many parts of the body, but they're all functioning together. And ultimately, unity is not just a feeling, it's a function. It's a function that we're all using our gifts, collaborating together, working together, serving one another, building up the church to change the world. You know, in our church, we've got people that have wonderful gifts of leadership and generosity. We have people that have wonderful gifts of administration, and we're using those gifts in the context of the local church to build up the global body of Christ. But it's not just a feeling, it's a function. You know, I went to the doctor one time, and he talked about how many people are sick and don't even know it. He said, you know, within your heart, sometimes people have a heart attack. Their heart is not functioning. They feel the chest pain. They feel the tightness. But he said it's actually 
they've lost by that point, oftentimes 60, 70, 80% of the function. And he said to me, health is not a feeling, it's a function. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Our unity is not just the feeling of having warm fuzzies and feeling that, you know, we're all together. Of course, that's part of it, but it's also functioning to build up the body of Christ, to see the mission of God advanced in the world. And I want to encourage every one of you not to just be a member, but to be a functioning member, to find your place in the body, to find the place of ministry where God has called you to. Even as we gather, perhaps it's greeting, perhaps it's uh, serving with the kids, perhaps it's prayer. You love praying. God has called each one of us to a place of ministry. And my prayer is that we would experience everything that God has called us to, that we would not just be one church in name, but we would be one church, one people, one body, one heart, one soul, one mind, all for the glory of God. So I wanna ask you today as we prepare to close, just to examine your heart. What level of unity are you at? Is there an area of unity where you need to step in? Perhaps you need to give your life to Christ. You need that spiritual unity. You, you need to be brought into the family. Perhaps you need to commit to relational unity. You need to commit to being a member, a part, a functioning part of the body. Perhaps it's committing to functioning through your gifts and serving in the body of Christ. Now I want to pray with you and believe with you that as we step out, we'll see everything that God has planned and purpose for us accomplished. So Father, we thank you, Lord, that even as we are scattered today physically, Father, we pray that we would come into unity in Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be that manifestation of the spiritual unity in our hearts. God, I pray that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that we would be like those sisters that said, you're my, you're my brother, you're my sister, I love you. Father, I pray for those that are suffering today because perhaps they've been disunified, they have broken relationship. God, I thank you that you are the mender, you're the healer, you're the restorer and rebuilder. And God, we pray, Lord, that any place where there's broken relationships, broken hearts, God, I pray that you would rebuild, that you would restore, that you would heal. And Father, we pray, Lord, that as we step into greater unity, Father, even through this Vision Builders initiative, God, as we are contributing together, God, let our hearts be knit together, Father. Let your church rise up. God, let your kingdom come. Father, let the world be transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we give you thanks, we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much to all of you for joining us today. I hope your heart is stirred by the Word of God, the importance of unity. Maybe you need to take some time this morning just to meditate on that, to discuss it in your house church today. And I want to invite you again to join us next Sunday at the Winter Park Community Center. We're going to have a great, great time together. I look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.